Yes, us. Welcome to the Kefi Life Podcast. My name is Kiki Vale, and I'll be your guide to creating a life of Ola Kala, all is well. Together, we'll get back to the basics, and we'll explore fresh new ways to flourish in mind, body, and soul the Greek way. You can look forward to interviews, stories, essential self-care strategies, recipes, and actionable takeaway Ola Kala moments. This is going to be so much fun. Let's get going. Bam it. Our Lexi for today is glossa, glossa, or language. Are you aware, friend, that learning a second language is a high form of intellectual activity? Sharpen your mind and soul with the language that you can use in your upcoming travels. You'll immerse yourself in the culture of your destination, and most likely, you'll enjoy your voyage even more. Glossa, or language. Have some fun learning a new one today. Eleolado, olive oil, has been celebrated in the civilized world for millennia, nearly eternal. The oil of this fruit has been more than just food to the cultures of the Mediterranean region. It's been medicinal, ceremonial, sacramental, and the foundation of great wealth and power. It is safe to say that olive oil is the ethos, the essence of Greek culinary culture. Today, the priceless and life-giving ingredients of this liquid gold can be delivered to you when you purchase your premium bottle of Kefi Life Extra Virgin Olive Oil from the region my parents were born, the Peloponnese. The coveted Koroniki olive is extensively cultivated here in the southern part of Greece, which offers the unique microclimate needed to grow a fruit netting the utmost nutrient value for extra virgin olive oil. Kefi Life Extra Virgin Olive Oil, a boundless amount of value, high in antioxidants with anti-inflammatory properties linked to good mood and improved mental health. Get your bottle of wellness today when you visit kefilife.shop. If the violin is the most perfect musical instrument, the Greek language is the violin of the human thought. So said Helen Keller. Wow. Can you imagine the beauty and global impact of the Greek language is worth so much exploration, especially since there are words that explain the sciences, health, biology, math, and more. Well, Kefi Life is very excited to dive in today to learn more from a University of Chicago professor, Dr. Anastasia Yanakidou. She studied classical philology and linguistics at the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki in Greece. She also received her PhD in linguistics from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. So Dr. Anastasia, welcome. We are so excited to get started with everything Greek language. Oh, Hello, Kiki. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And I must say, you made a wonderful introduction into the topic of the Greek language. Indeed, it is like music and it is such a beautiful language worth exploring and worth studying. I've been doing it for many years and I want to just encourage the study of it, you know, in not just for the Greeks, but for the broader community as well. You're you're a native Greek. You were born in Greece and but you still believe that the language is so valuable to the entire world. What was the point in your life that said that you said to yourself, this is something I want to study mm-hmm. and really advance my life with, learning more, becoming a linguist? So I was always interested in uh, in languages when I was little. Uh, and in ancient Greek, indeed, because we were taught ancient Greek in the uh, in the Greek school. I had uh, about six years before I entered university of ancient Greek. And I realized that what I was fascinated uh, with was 
the similarities between ancient Greek words and modern Greek words. Uh, when we went to church, I could hear and understand part of it, but not all of it. So I was very interested in comparing and understanding the similarities, the differences, and the unity between you know these three different uh, stages of the language, the ancient, the Byzantine, and the modern. And so I decided at some point when I was uh, 17 years old that I, I want to study the Greek language. I also thought I wanted to study it because I wanted to study the ideas that were expressed in Greek language. And a lot of very interesting ideas are expressed in it. Ideas about not just language, but also about literature, about society, about political organization, about religion, a lot of other things. And so I decided to do that. And that's Philology. So I, I studied philology at the University of Thessaloniki. What is philology? Yeah, so philology, the word is philologos, so the friend of logos. And logos is this concept that uh, it's a very Greek concept. It's a word for both language and reason. Logic comes from logos, but and it is the underlying principle of rationality that human beings with language have. So, a philologos uh, is someone that studies uh, products of language, and typically we study uh, literature. So, literature is a product of language, like novels, but. When it comes to ancient Greek philology, you essentially study philosophical works as well as tragedies, comedies, medicinal texts, various texts that have been written. So you study them from a linguistic perspective so that you can see the rules underlying them, but you can also study them as indicators of the culture behind them because the connection between language and culture is always very tight. And so by reading those texts and by studying those texts as a philologist and as a linguist, you get uh, an idea of what the ancient Greek society was or what the modern Greek society is, what kinds of values they had, what kinds of passions they had such that they expressed those passions in literature and in uh, poetry and in uh, tragedy and so forth. Before we began this interview, we, we had a little pre-chat about the Greek language and we got into a segment about thinking and, as you mentioned, language and reason and justice and all of that. And that's what I think I'm drawn to with the Greek language is that it makes you think and you can make comparisons. And there's one word for many different thoughts or ideas. So when you talk about, for example, um, thinking, can we trace back any one philosopher that was responsible for uh, the Greek language with philosophy? Is there someone that you think about? For- right, there are many. So the first time, one very important aspect of ancient Greek philosophy is that it was not what we understand to be philosophy now. So what is philosophy now? You have professors of philosophy being at the university doing what we say philosophy. But there are different areas that we call the sciences and different areas that we call literature and uh, economics and so forth. In antiquity, philosophy was about everything. So the philosopher was really the mathematician. So Pythagoras, for example, was a philosopher, but his emphasis was on mathematics. And uh, Aristotle was a great philosopher, and he basically studied everything. 
And Aristotle, I think, in many ways, was also the first linguist, because Aristotle developed in a number of works that we call the organon, the organon in English, but organon is a Greek word. He actually studied properties of language as they relate to kinds of syllogisms and steps in reasoning. He was the first one that coined the term syllogism, syllogismos, which is um, a conclusion that comes from a number of premises. He developed the first logics, and his approach was extremely linguistic. He developed the first theory of negation, of what we call universal quantification, the meaning of words like every and a uh, and three and most and many other quantificational words. It took the Western philosophers, uh, you know, to reach maybe the 19th century to be able to get back to ideas that we find in Aristotle. So Aristotle really developed. So we think of him as a philosopher, but he really was also like a very serious linguist because back then philosophizing meant analyzing and studying every form of intellectual activity. And language and studying language is a form of intellectual activity. So words such as, for example, the verb, what is a verb, what is a noun, these are all questions that are addressed in Aristotle. And later on in a class of philosophers called the Stoics, Stoiki philosophy, the Stoics have also amazing theories of language. Epidicus, is it Epidicus that is a Stoic? Epictetus, yes, absolutely. Epictetus, excellent, very good, who was also a slave, let us not forget, because back then the Greeks were actually enslaved to the Romans. So it's, this is later philosophy, yes. Epictetus was a Stoic, and Marcus Aurelius, the, 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 the Roman emperor, was a Stoic, and he wrote in Greek. So Marcus Aurelius wrote in Greek, and back then every educated person in Rome, so second, third century AD, they had to speak Greek. It was a a sign of great erudition. Greek was a language, a very prestigious language at the time. So it's very important to understand that like that type of linguistic analysis, the Greeks did it, and they had been doing it at least since the fourth, fifth century BC. They were very much engaged. And Plato also had a lot of thinkings, and Socrates, of course, because Plato talks uh, with, uh, you know, about the ideas of his um, teacher, Socrates, while also expressing his own. But, you know, yeah, he expresses ideas about language and the role of the relationship between language and thought, very advanced and very uh, sophisticated. Very sophisticated. If we talk about language and how it is a fundamental part of being a human being, it's the way we communicate. So what would you what would you say about that? Because so much of the Greek words and the language you mentioned ancient, you mentioned Byzantine. By the way, what is Kine Greek? K O I N E. Kine or Koine, as we say in English, but uh, Kine. So Kini Eliniki is the Greek that emerges in the first century before Christ and then carries over to like Byzantine times, the time of the Christ and Hellenistic and then uh, Byzantine times. Kini is basically the language that the Byzantines spoke as well and it's the language that we hear in church. So if we go to the Greek Orthodox Church, that is uh, Kini. It means common the common language. That's what kini means. Kinos means common. And it was the language, it was the standard Greek 
So you have to imagine, Kiki, uh, by the time of Christ, okay, which is after the classical period and after the Hellenistic period, so Hellenistic is the time of Alexander, roughly between 300 and, let's say, the conquest of Greece by the Romans in 146 and then Egypt in 31 uh, BC. So during that time, Greek was the dominant language of the Eastern Mediterranean. We need to understand that because it's very hard to imagine. Everybody spoke Greek, including the Jews, for example. This is why Christ and his apostles, they wrote in Greek. They didn't write in uh, Hebrew or in Aramaic or Latin. They wrote in Greek because that was the language, the lingua franca, we say, the common language all over the Mediterranean at the time. It was also the language of erudition and education in Rome. As I said, Marcus Aurelius wrote in Greek. So Greek is a very uh, prestigious language, and it is the fact that everybody who reads and writes speaks it. So gradually, so you understand that many people, different ethnicities, many people spoke Greek as a second language. They weren't all ethnic Greeks the ones that uh, spoke Greek at the time. And so gradually a common form was developed, pretty much like English is today. So you see, we have various Englishes, we say, so we have the English in the United States, we have British English, we have English spoken in India, English spoken in Australia, New Zealand, and so forth. But there is something that is common English that we talk about as standard English that everybody who speaks English understands and recognizes as speaking English. And the same goes with Greek. So that common standard Greek of the time of Christ and later time, uh, until the emergence of modern Greek, which is around the 13th, 14th century uh, AD, uh, that is the Koine, uh, the Koine Greek. It's the common language, and it is based on Attic Greek. It's based on the dialect that was spoken in Attica. Is Greek the oldest language? Is it the oldest language? It is one of the very, it's probably the oldest language for which we have written records. So we have records of Greek that date back to uh, 1500 BC. 1500 BC, these are called, uh, they're written in the Linear B script that was found in Pylos, which is in the Peloponnese, and on the island of Crete. So we have documents written in the Greek language from that period. And uh, yeah, very few other languages can boast such an old record. Back to my original, because uh, I, I kind of got sidetracked, but how can we relate the Greek language to being a fundamental human being? Like, for example, the way we communicate and the words we use. If I think about Martin Luther King, when he spoke about agapi, that powerful word of agapi, or we think about sophus or wisdom, or we take these words like logos, logic, and word. There are so many powerful, you know, these, like, I think you nailed it. You said something about it's not just a word and a way to communicate, it's an idea. Exactly. It's an idea. A lot of wonderful, amazing ideas that are good for human beings and good for society are expressed in the Greek language. And uh, of course, these ideas can be translated and people can come to know these ideas 
without speaking Greek, but Greek was a perfect vehicle for, for those ideas. You mentioned Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King actually read a lot of Plato. He read a lot of Plato. And uh, he. it is very clear in many of his writings, for example, in a letter that he wrote from uh, the Birmingham jail, uh, a little before he died, he actually says very explicitly, this is how he starts the letter, he says, I am, you know, sitting here on Olympus, like the Mount Olympus, he, he was there, and I see, you know, Zeus, and I see Socrates, and I see the Agora of Athens. He sees himself in that context, and I think that he sees himself very much like Socrates. The way Socrates was in ancient Athens, he spoke the truth. A lot of his philosophy was about, you know, what is real, what is ethical, what is good, what is the common good, what is just. And he proposed a theory that was very democratic, so that the just, for example, and the good are not determined by the king or by the the people with money, but they are determined by what is good for human beings, what leads to, to goodness in the sense of well-being and eudaimonia, like being in this good spirit. And so... Uh, one of the very important things, as we know for Socrates, is that he always spoke the truth and that he cared about discovering the truth. And uh, that's why he was accused that he was co- corrupting the youth of Athens. And in the end, he was condemned to drink the hemlock and he died. And so I think there are many parallels between him and Martin Luther King that he himself, uh, Martin Luther King, saw and explored, and he saw himself as being, like speaking, truth to power the same way Socrates did. And we Greeks have a word for this, it's a special word, and we call it parisia. I don't know if you've heard of this word, parisia, we use it also in the church, is parisia in English. It's it's a word used, we actually have a parisia program here at the University of Chicago, and it's the act of truth-telling, to tell the truth, even when there is risk, even when, you know, there is a danger. And, you know, to talk about Parisia, it was not just Socrates who had that truth speaking. It was Antigone, another very important woman of antiquity, who stood up to King Creon and said, I don't care about your rules. I need to bury my brother. And this is the higher rule. It is the divine rule. And I, that is the rule that I have to obey. And so that is a form of parisia, and that is certainly something that can help people today, you know, to, you know, to fight for what is just, to fight for what is right, and achieve better societies. So the Greeks thought about these things, they have words for those things, and it's useful to, uh, to engage with, uh, with that uh, those writings. Yeah, it just gives me chills your description because it makes me think of Winston Churchill when he said, you know, if you want to be brave, you'll be like the Greeks, something like that, something like that. Absolutely. There's bravery in Parisia. There's always bravery in Parisia. For me, someone that was um, the first language that I heard was Greek. My parents are both immigrants of Greece. Um, it's, it's a very it's a very natural language to me. Um, but I, I view it as I thought about it once. Like, what is it that I <clears throat> that I love about <clears throat> the Greek language? We, besides I, I personally what it means do not know for discussed. sure, my dear Kiki, because, because I haven't studied so the documents. But it is indeed it true that what does the Greek a lot of the, the Americans read Greek, and they were very familiar. 
<laughs> this is such a such a big question. Like the Greek language to me, it, it, it means a lot. It means. First of all, it's okay, it's the object of my study, so definitely I'm very curious about it. It has some very intriguing properties in the grammar. Intriguing properties that you find, so if you study Greek and understand certain things about the Greek grammar, and then you look at languages that are completely unrelated, for example, Korean or Mandarin or Basque, okay, which are languages that I have studied with my students, it turns out that once you discover certain patterns in Greek, you go to these languages and you find those patterns in these remote languages. Like these languages have no relationship with Greek. So studying the Greek grammar itself can be very informative scientifically. And it is as an object, as a scientific object of study, can be very informative for the study of language period. So that's one thing that I find extremely interesting. Of course, the other thing about the Greek language is that we have all these special words that relate to cultural attitudes that we Greeks have. Like, you know, parisia is the one word that I mentioned to do, like truth-telling. Philotimo is another word. There's a number of words that are very indicative. So when you talk about philotimo, you really talk about, you know, the friendship of honor. And you can translate this into English and say friendship of honor, okay? But it's not the same thing. And the fact that Greek has a word for it tells us that the culture assigns special value to this particular property, to, to, to honor, you know, to be a friend of having honor. And that thing, to have honor, is something that we find diachronically in the Greek uh, literature, okay? We find it in the Iliad. We find it in, you know, Achilles wants to, to fight the, a Hector because he wants to honor Hector killed his uh, friend, Achilles' friend Patroclus, and he wants to honor his friend by killing Hector. It, it is a little bloody. But the idea is that you honor. The killing is not like a blind revenge killing. It is about honor. The gods have honor. Human beings have honor. Like this idea of honor is a very strong idea in in, uh, in the Greek culture. You find it also in other civilizations. You find it in Japan. You find it in East Asian civilizations. But in, in the Greek context, the concept of honor is something that doesn't need to subjugation, but it needs to liberation. Like it, it is very important to understand that many of these words are observed in the liturgical, in the liturgical uh, language of the church. And if one actually pays attention to what is said in Greek, that is why it must never be translated and or simplified. It's a beautiful language, it's extremely poetic, and it is, um, a, you know, a language that has, uh, especially the church Greek, you know, a lot of, it becomes the vehicle of the divine. It's very important. Well, this interview has, has just been so interesting, intriguing, enlightening, and I love that you have shared so much with us. It's actually like, this is like a whole year interview that we have here. But um, in closing, I would like to ask you a special question because I ask all my special guests. Um, we've, we've sort of gotten a tipping point to uh, the Greek language, but as we close out, as somebody who's lived abroad and studied a lot and is a family person and quite diverse, uh, the question is, and you can answer it, uh, Dr. Anastasia, in my life, I've learned that. Yeah, that is a very, very nice point. So in my life, I have learned that 
it always pays off to try to see things through multiple perspectives, to try to, uh, to always be curious, to understand not only the way you see things, but the way, the differing way someone else might see exactly the same phenomenon. So I find it very important to be able to, I've learned that it's good to see multiple perspectives and it's extremely good to always ask questions. I love being in a state of perpetual uh, aporia. That is also another Greek word I wanted to throw that in. It's again, wonderment, aporia, being inquisitive, wanting to learn. That is something that I think, it's very Socratic. You know, Socrates used to say, didasko ai didaskomenos. So I am teaching always being a student myself which means I always learn. And it means that, you know, the process of asking questions and learning and trying to give answers uh, by exploring multiple perspectives, these things are very valuable. They're very good for human beings, for solving problems, and for having better societies. And the Greeks and the works that have been written in the Greek language offer great ideas of how to do all that. Well, we have certainly learned so much today and our minds have been opened and we want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, dear Kiki. It has been a pleasure. My pleasure. Stay right there. Up next, your weekly takeaway to keep it all as well. Hola, Kala. This Hola, Kala moment brought to you by the law offices of Liston and Centillus. Ranked number one by the Leading Lawyers Network since 2010, taking care of all your real estate needs. Today's episode is all about learning and reflecting with education of language. Let's take me, for example. I have Greek DNA and Greek heritage. Therefore, I'm furthering my Greek studies. Currently at a college level, according to my tutor, she recommends that I supplement my learning with this fabulous app called Tandem Language. This is where you can practice and learn over 300 languages with a native-speaking person of the language of your choice. It's Olekala all as well when you properly support your language learning efforts. Kiki Vale is the founder of Kefi Life. She is passionate about whole person wellness and living a fulfilled life. Her Kefi Life podcast is created to simply and naturally help you harmonize the mind, body, and soul the Greek way. Visit kefilife.com and check out Kiki Vale on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Join us again next time for more positive energy and inspiration on Kefi Life.